Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. In this episode, we share our personal journey as a married, neurodiverse couple raising autistic children. We discuss how our experience led us to create the charity initiative Autism Wish, as well as how this podcast intends to help parents like you. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hi, everyone. I want to welcome you to our first ever episode of Embracing Autism, the podcast brought to you by Autism Wish, which is our little charity project. We started recording this podcast to provide parents with some resources and information, mostly because of our personal journey with autism. We are two neurodiverse parents who have two autistic children officially diagnosed. Currently, they're actually toddlers, but they were diagnosed at a very young age. Probably around, what would you say? I think about uh, just over one and a half for oldest. and Actually, they're both about one and a half. Yeah. So we wanted to put this together to kind of put our story out there and try to connect with other parents and give you guys a sense of community, as well as provide you guys with some tips and guidance and information that we've learned along the way with our journey with autism. With that said, I think we'll just tell you a little bit about our story. Kind of just dive right in. So... Kind of going for our personal journey, I think the first time that we realized we had some red flags was probably, our daughter was probably about a year and a half, and some of the behaviors that we had started to see was that she was kind of isolating herself, playing with toys in non-traditional ways, and very rigid, rigid, rig, <laughs> wow. Rigid. Bit, right, there we go. Very rigid behavior. <laughs> there we go. Those were some of the first things that had us contact infants and toddlers to kind of learn a little bit more about what was going on. Our initial experience with autism was our first child. Our first child was the one who we went through this process for the first time ever where we hadn't really had any real exposure to autism spectrum disorder. We weren't really familiar with it. So we didn't really know what autism was to the extent that we do now. And I think for me, it was kind of a scary word, mostly because I didn't know. I mean, like you said, I didn't know what autism was. And even when I reached out to family and friends, no one had really come across it to the degree that we would be able to get great insight to what was put before us. So I think that was kind of a a scary time in our lives where there was so much unknown and we had to learn as much as we could as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I learned that autism only affects about one to 2% of the population. So it's very unlikely that you even know somebody who has autism or is autistic. And so for us, I don't think that I had really known many people other than a relative of mine who was diagnosed autistic, but I don't spend a lot of time with them. So it was still not very obvious to me. One of the first things that we noticed was that our daughter had that speech delay and that's what triggered the whole infants and toddlers evaluation. And they were the ones who ultimately told us that we should get our daughter evaluated. 
But even some of those initial red flags to us, the lack of eye contact or just playing in isolation or not really noticing when peers were around, it did seem a little bit unusual, but I feel like at the time I wasn't too concerned about it until that infants and toddlers evaluation came and they basically told us, hey, you should be a little concerned. And I think there were even stimming activities that she would partake in that we assumed it was just a standard behavior for whatever age she was at the time. It was, I think, mostly the arm flapping was a big one that we would yeah. encounter. Yeah, because that's the thing. There's some of these behaviors that are actually pretty standard for younger children. So arm flapping behavior is really normal for infants like when they're young. But there comes a point where they outgrow it. And the issue with our daughter was that she had not outgrown it. And then that, honestly, because it was kind of a harmless behavior, I never really cared. I was just like, oh, she's excited. She's happy. Woohoo. You know, it wasn't a big deal. I wasn't concerned about it. So it was kind of subtle things like that initially. And then there was like a few more things that were a little more obvious. Eventually, our daughter did ultimately go to developmental pediatrician where she got an autism diagnosis. And shortly thereafter, what, like, how many months later was our second kid? 11 months later, we had another kid. (laughs) So we had our kids back to back pretty much. And the second child also came out diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, which we completely did not expect that time around. I think that was a bit of a wake up call. Mostly because we had our one daughter diagnosed with autism and we had gone through all the the steps and we had started the therapies and we had the realization of, okay, we know what autism is. And for our second daughter, she was nothing like our first daughter. And we're like, oh, okay, no, she's, she's not autistic. How can she possibly be autistic? And then <laughs> <laughs> we had the realization of, oh, there's a spectrum. Yeah, that was definitely very educational because our second daughter is like the polar opposite of our first child. Our first child was more like the quiet type that stayed in her own little world and didn't really like bother other people too much. She just kind of did her own thing and didn't really pay attention to the kids around her. And then our youngest child, who I thought at the time, I I used to refer to her as my neurotypical baby all the time. Like I was like, oh yeah, I have an autistic child and a neurotypical child. I could have sworn she was neurotypical because she did socially engage and she smiled. And in retrospect, she didn't have eye contact really, but I didn't notice that because of all the smiles and the giggles. And and I, I think another part was she was very, pro or not proactive but reactive i was just like she'd climb on everything she'd run around i'm not really hyperactive hyperactive there we go (laughs) i'm not good with my english today yeah she was so hyperactive i was like okay she is doing her own thing having fun climbing on toys sofa whatever yeah it, it really threw us off a bit and then the light bulb or the the duh moment of oh yeah autism isn't just this one thing it can be a wide range there can be different levels and then I think it kind of hit us and we're like, oh, okay, maybe maybe she is. Yeah, the second child, the only reason that we were really having her on our radar is because through the program that our first child is in, they automatically will monitor any siblings of a child who's been diagnosed with autism. And since our second one was younger, they had already been keeping an eye on her. The um, developmental pediatrician decided to continue to try to evaluate her just in case. And I 
wasn't really convinced. When we went to that appointment, I wasn't really sure. I thought I saw a few red flags, but because her behavior was so drastically different from our first child, I initially didn't think that she would get an autism evaluation. But I did notice that as she got closer to that 17-month mark that our first child had hit and regressed, that's when we started noticing more of those behaviors. So our first child, initially, one of the things that we noticed was a regression of language at that 17-month mark. And we kind of kept an eye out for our second child to see if something similar happened. And it actually did. Like she hit that mark and it wasn't so much that she lost language. It was more that she just didn't develop language. So she was kind of like mute, like nonverbal. It was very much a struggle to get her to basically say even the most simplistic baby language, mama, papa. I mean, just very, very simple sounds. It was almost a struggle just to get that from her. I definitely noticed that there was more of a regression with our oldest daughter where she actually forgot how to do certain actions. Um, I remember one of them that was kind of devastating for us was um, she used to blow kisses and then she hit that wall and had unlearned that. And I remember that was a really kind of devastating moment for us. Yeah. We weren't sure what was happening and definitely a challenging time. And that's why we kind of question it with the second child because she didn't have so much of an obvious loss of traits, behavior, or language. It was more like she just had a really delayed advancement of those things. So instead of having said mama and papa and then losing it, she just never said it. Whereas our first child had learned those things. And then once she hit around the 17 month mark, she lost it. She stopped saying those words and she pretty much started disconnecting at that point. When she was little, there were a few things that we had noticed that in retrospect probably were red flags. So like at the hospital, for example, I remember that she would never cry whenever she was hungry. And the only way I ever knew to feed her was because she was sucking on her fingers. So that in retrospect, I was like, you know, there were these red flags and I just never noticed it because she was my first baby. And we also brushed off that we had the best baby in the world. She never woke us up crying. <laughs> I know. She <laughs> and, would sleep five hours in a row. Right, right, right. No, she was, I mean, she was very quiet. And, and that's why we're like, wow, everyone always complains about their kids crying at night. And <laughs> we got one that has gotten past that. So yes. I think it was a mixture of a few things because it was our, our first child. Obviously, we didn't really know. We didn't have any comparison. So a lot of these things, we just kind of assumed, oh, wow, like this is... She's just a really great or, kid. Or we're really great parents. And we're, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that just, it was that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. It definitely wasn't. But it was definitely a, an interesting and challenging time just kind of going through that journey through each of the, the steps after we had gotten the diagnosis. The other reason that we had that hesitation with our second child was because she was so drastically different even from birth. Our second child was the polar opposite even at birth. She was an extremely colicky baby. And I remember the only way we could ever get her to go to sleep as a newborn and even probably through her like first year of life was putting her to sleep in one of those swings because she needed the motion to fall asleep. Right. Oh my gosh. I remember the middle of the night having her in the rocking baby rocker or whatever and trying to slowly unbuckle her and transport her into the crib without her waking up. And then if she woke up, we'd have to repeat the whole process. But I remember, yeah, the first <laughs> first few months was definitely a struggle. And I would even say even today, I mean, now that we're where we're at, I mean, and she just turned two a little while ago, she's still very much motion seeking. I mean, even today, waking up from a nap and saying that she wants to be rocked in the chair. Those behaviors that we saw when they were initially very, very young are actually still here. It's just kind of morphed into something a little bit different. We learned a lot from that experience in terms of 
just how much a spectrum autism spectrum disorder is. You can have two children come from the exact same parent, both of them, autistic diagnosis, and just have completely different traits, behaviors, and needs. But all of this experience and the exposure that we had to both of our girls and the entire process that we've gone through has really helped us gain a better understanding of autism spectrum disorder. But that's not to say that we didn't have a hard time initially. That initial diagnosis, the first time we heard your child has autism spectrum disorder, it was actually pretty devastating to us. And I know that a lot of times I see online, I see people who say, oh, if you're upset that your child has an autism disorder, that just means you don't love them or accept them for who they are, or you just want a different child, or you just don't understand your child, how they are and all this stuff. They kind of put this negative connotation to a sad reaction to a diagnosis when, in fact, I don't think that's the case at all. On the contrary, I felt like the autism diagnosis was actually something that triggered an emotional response because we had prepared or envisioned for one future and then were given essentially a different one. And that was the part that was hard. It was learning to cope with the fact that what we had expected would happen, what we had planned and dreamt of in our minds and fantasized about was no longer going to be reality. It wasn't at all about the fact of our child specifically we wanted to be different. It was more like the future that we had planned would have been different. And I think I was also a little terrified as well. I mean, obviously we mentioned before that I didn't really know what autism was, but there were so many mixed emotions. I remember talking to my family and basically their response was like, oh, they'll grow out of some of these behaviors. Like essentially don't worry. Like you're, you're making a bigger deal about something that in the end they'll be perfectly fine without these struggles that they're having. And it took a really, really long time to have conversations with them where I was basically kind of letting them know that they might not grow out of this behavior and it could be like a ongoing struggle, like making an assumption like that before you actually know what the situation is might not be the best approach. I think I also had a little bit of a fear, mostly because I was worried about, I remember I talked to one of my friends because I was worried that if our daughters weren't able to socialize with their peers, they might not be able to make friends and wouldn't be able to have a, a childhood that I had envisioned for them where they're hanging out with friends and having a good time. And I remember, thankfully, he he has a daughter that roughly around the same age. I think she was about a year younger than our oldest. And he was like, well, worst case is, my daughter will be friends with your daughter. And it was such a kind of a sweet moment. I was like, well, thanks, buddy. Like, I I really appreciate like you basically saying, I'll make sure like my daughter isn't alone in this world that you'll have another friend. Community is so critically important when it comes to this sort of thing. Like that's part of the reason that has driven us to create this podcast and create Autism Wish because community really helps you feel that sense of belonging and have that shoulder to kind of like rest on whenever you need that support. And it also helps you connect your children to other peers who may be in a similar boat and can relate. So we definitely encourage that sort of community bond and feeling. And that's part of the reason that's driven us to create this podcast. But I can totally relate to that because I I remember when we first got that diagnosis, I think initially we were okay, right? But it wasn't until like the next day after it kind of hit us and we had time to process everything that it kind of just felt like it hit us like a truck. Like we were just like so overwhelmed with like, what does this mean? And I remember us holding each other and we were like crying and we didn't really know. We just didn't know. We just like, we we felt very like lost and we didn't know what does this mean? Is this something that we should be worried about? Is she going to be okay? It was more of a cathartic type of 
emotional journey that we went through. And I think part of the struggle is because it is a spectrum. There's no, this is point A, this is point B. This is the exact path you take in every situation. We are basically staring into the abyss of Google, Googling autism and hoping for a story that would kind of lead us in a path. But it was basically us staring at a blank screen like, Okay, what does this mean? Where do we go from here? In retrospect, we understand and realize that most of that anxiety that we had at the time wasn't so much about, oh no, my child's autistic. What am I going to do? What are people going to think about me? It wasn't like that at all. It was more that the sense that we didn't feel prepared for this. We didn't feel like we knew how to help our child in the way that they needed to be helped. And we so badly wanted to, but we felt like helpless in the sense that like this was completely out of our league. We didn't know what we were doing. So I always feel like it's a process that you have to go through and it's something that you have to basically just push through with the realization that it does feel initially like there's this giant storm hitting you of doom and gloom and it does feel that way. I don't want people to think that it doesn't and kind of belittle that experience because it's an authentic experience and it really is necessary because once you push through that experience and get to the other side, that's when you get that realization of like, wait a minute, this isn't so bad. Like once you get out of the storm and are looking back, you're like, wow, I, I okay, I got this. And that's where getting educated and really learning and finding your community comes into place because you want to get from the point where you feel like you're weathering a storm to the point where you feel comfortable enough to not just learn and accept the diagnosis, but learn to embrace the diagnosis and learn to embrace your child for who they are rather than trying to change them. And that's what I was going to say, trying to get essentially to their level where you're not looking at them as parent to child, you're trying to get into their world. The transition for me was when I was playing with our oldest daughter right before diagnosis, it was parallel play where I was playing right next to her, the exact same thing she was playing. And I was in another world. I wasn't even in her world. We were playing side by side, the same toys, but she wouldn't even look engage aware that there was another person trying to play with her and engage with her. And it was extremely hard. But as time progressed, we learned techniques to try and break down that barrier to try and bring her into our world or the other way around. (laughs) She's bringing us into her world. And then we're able to kind of move together from there. For me, I try to think of it not necessarily a struggle with autism, but trying to like unite. Right. Like you're not fighting autism. Right. I see a lot of representations of autism in certain groups as this monster that we need to beat and destroy in order to reach who our child truly is deep down inside. And I feel like that's just the wrong perspective to take because your child has autistic tendencies because they are autistic. That's who they are. It's in their neurology. It's in their neurobiology, their brain wiring. It's no different than us saying, oh, I tend to be a person who gets really excited around X, Y, and Z. It's not like you can separate that from your brain. That's ingrained into your personality. That's who you are. It's important to learn and understand that you can't quote unquote, take the autism out of a child. Like that's just not a thing. You just have to learn to embrace the child for who they are and then learn to use those behaviors and those traits and the quote unquote quirkiness towards your child's advantage. Learn to help your child learn to love themselves and embrace their own neurodiversity. 
be a part of that and rather try to change your child. Embrace that and try to find a way to use that to the child's advantage because every kid has their strength. It doesn't matter if you're autistic or not. They have their strengths. And I think as soon as we had that light bulb turning on moment, I think that's kind of when we really kind of came together as a family because we were all probably the first time all on the same page. We had initially been like, okay, we need to find out how to help her. But then once we kind of shifted to, okay, this is our world and this is how she's perceiving things, let's have her try and perceive something in a little bit different viewpoint. And once we had that first connection where she gave us eye contact or she was responsive to an interaction we were having when we were playing with her, I think then it finally clicked for both her and us that we're not in separate worlds. We are in the same world together. And I think that was a powerful emotional shift in the dynamic of our family because we became one world, one family at that moment when it kind of clicked. And we did that simply by saying, you know what, I'm not going to try to get her to my level. I'm going to get to her level. And that's really the the difference there is like, we're not trying to get her to do things that we would consider quote unquote normal. We're just going to get into her world and we're going to go and learn what she likes and what she wants to do. And we go ahead and pursue situations in slightly different, unique ways that are more applicable to how her brain thinks. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Once we came to that realization, second kid was so much easier. Like when we got the second diagnosis, there there was there were no tears for that one. I think because we had the concept of, okay, we've been working with our first daughter with the therapies as far as our interactions with her, it was basically, okay, we'll transition her into our dynamic of our family. I honestly thought the second diagnosis probably made things easier. So we didn't have to differentiate anything. Because we had two children that were now diagnosed. So it just, it felt natural at that point and it just felt right. Right. I just like to basically encourage everybody out there who's listening, if you feel like Well, I don't know. First of all, if you are just suspecting their child is autistic or if you have a child who's already got an autism diagnosis. But if you feel like there is nothing that you can do and you feel like I just can't reach my child, consider just rethinking the way that you perceive autism. My child is autistic. It's part of who they are. And it's just a matter of trying to understand how they work and who they are and how they experience the world. And once you understand that, it's really like learning a different language. But once you learn that language, once you learn Greek, you can totally communicate with people who speak Greek. Initially, Greek sounds weird to you, right? Like initially, if you don't know Greek, you're like, whoa, what is this? I'm totally confused. I don't like it. But once you learn it and become fluent, then you learn all these new things and new worlds and new customs and all this stuff that you're like, you know what? That's amazing. I would have never learned about this entire culture had I not learned Greek. So I kind of see it in that way. Yeah, it definitely opens up new pathways for your interactions with, I mean, at least with our, our children. I remember I think when we first started, we were playing with water bottles that had food coloring dye in them. And our, our oldest daughter her only form of play. We, ha- I mean, we had all sorts of toys for her, but the only thing that she was interested in were the colored water bottles. And she would take and line them up everywhere in the house. And at first we were concerned that she wasn't playing with any of the toys, but then we got past that and we're like, okay, let's do something different with the water bottles. Let's push them down the stairs. Let's stand them up on one end. Let's roll them across the floor. And then I think that's when she started to kind of come around and she started to trying to do the same things that we were doing with the water bottles. It wasn't just lining them up in a row. It was making a different design with them. It was all these different things that you can do with a water bottle. I mean, some of them are silly. I mean, silly yeah. things, but <laughs> I think that was kind of a bridging moment for us because 
she realized, oh, I can do other things with water bottles. And these strange people who won't go away are engaging with me with these water bottles. And then from then on, we just kept learning new techniques through uh, the different therapies that we're going, how to get a little bit closer to her. Right now, we function as a family. And don't get us wrong. It is hard initially. It really is hard. I feel like there is kind of like a steep learning curve. And that's part of why we're doing this. We want to make that steep learning curve a little easier to maneuver. But after a while, you do start to get the hang of it. Once you learn to change the way you talk so that they understand you a little better, once you learn techniques on how to get them to engage with you a little bit, it really does get easier over time. And it gets fun. You start learning your kid a little bit more. But I know that initially it can be really discouraging. It can be frustrating. It can feel like this is never going to change. What do I do? I've tried everything. But I want to let you know, there is ultimately a way to do it. There's a way to reach a connection with your child. We don't know what that connection may be right now, but with trial and error, with a lot of patience, a lot of time, you will definitely be able to make that connection. It just takes effort and patience. And I think going along with that, I think our biggest mistake starting off was the assumption that we had to solve every problem today. We have to go set up every therapy today. And it's really not the case. Looking back now, we could have taken our time. I mean, we could have read up as much as we could have, but ultimately putting your health in a bad place where you're not sleeping, you're upset, constantly stressed out. I think that that does more damage overall because I think your children would pick up that you're stressed out, you're on edge. They're not having the same interaction that they would if you breathe, take your time, you're calm, and you look into the different therapy options, look into trying to build a connection with your child. Ultimately, all of this stuff and the combination of everything that we've learned throughout this process led us to feel the need to try to create something that would help not just parents, but the autistic children themselves, which is why we created Autism Wish. Autism Wish is a little charity project of ours where we try to gift sensory therapeutic items or special interest items to children. And we started that initially as a Christmas project where we gifted like 113 kids with items for Christmas and have grown it since then to expand to other things like Valentine's cards and all that stuff. But now we're looking into trying to expand into getting more parent resources as well. So this podcast is an important first step for that. But we plan on having and providing a lot more resources to you guys over time. And overall, I think our biggest goal for this is if you do get a diagnosis that your child is autistic, we don't want to have you go through the same struggles that we did trying to figure out what do I do next? I don't know what direction. And I'm just Googling random things trying to make my life better or improve my current situation. We want to try and create a place where you can go. You can listen to the different podcasts, get advice and learn more about autism and how to kind of navigate the waters to get to a, a better place. And more importantly, we also want to get you guys to a place where you feel like you accept and embrace this autism diagnosis and you don't feel like you have to fight it. You don't feel like it's this thing that's sucking the life out of you. Like, we're trying to help change the perception of autism spectrum disorder and give you guys a positive look onto it so that you don't feel like it is the end of the world after that initial diagnosis. Because it, it really is not. I know it's hard to see that initially, but give it some time. And I promise you it gets easier, it gets better, and it, it gets fantastic once you get that bond with your child. Just keep pushing, stay with it, don't give up on your child. And I think there's a brighter tomorrow overall. 
Absolutely. So we're going to end up adding a bunch more episodes. We're going to go into a bunch of different things from different therapies. We're going to have a lot of information about different techniques and tips and provide you with resources throughout the podcast seasons. So just stick around and tune in and we hope that you enjoy it and learn something from this. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Embracing Autism. To review, in this episode, we shared our journey as neurodiverse parents of autistic children and discussed how keeping a positive and open mindset is critical to parenting a special needs child. As parents who've been there, we hope to help you to go from feeling like you're weathering the storm to ultimately embracing autism. Thanks for listening to Embracing Autism. Make sure to tune into our next episode where we will tackle questions such as what is autism spectrum disorder? Should I be concerned? And what are common red flags I should be looking for? This podcast has been brought to you by Autism Wish. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Autism Wish. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.